Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cocciolillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cocciolillo. And before we get started, I'd like to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producer Candace Anderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you will find a bunch of information there on how to do that. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Nicholas Vesey, and uh, he is going to talk about consciousness, and he has a couple of books out. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks very much indeed. That's great. Um, so, you are... Um, a minister, is that right? That's absolutely right. I've been a, a, a minister uh, in the... I started off in the in, in the Church of England, uh, but before that, I've been on the sort of spiritual trail since about 1979, following a, a, a trip to Nepal, uh, good old-fashioned <laughs> Indian experience, and uh, top-of-the-mountain experience, and went from there to sort of S-type organizations, the, the whole idea of the human potential movement worked in that area for about uh, a while. And then it's interesting, I, you know, I, I came to the end of that, that a lot of the human potential stuff moved into business, things like the, the EST and Forum. They ended up on, you know, boards and doing communication training. And I was very much in the God business. And so I thought, well, you know, how do you how do you talk about God nowadays and have people not think you're bonkers? And, you know, if you I, if you talk to people about this sort of stuff, you know, unless you, I wasn't going to change my name to Prem Anand something or other. And, uh, you know, yellow, is, I had my colours done. Yellow was never my colour, so I wasn't going to go the Buddhist route. Um, and in England particularly, you know, if you start talking about God, they think, oh, help. And, and they say, who are you? And I say, well, I'm Church of England priest. Say, oh, come in, have a cup of tea. So they like that. So um, I, I went in that direction back in about 1976. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, so what is God? Well, I think there's a lovely quote from the Tai Te Ching that says, the more you talk about God, the further you get from understanding what God is. <laughs> Just for the purposes of, of, of what, you know, we're, we're about here. My perception, where I come from is this, is um, that what we're talking about is a unified consciousness. Um, and, you know, my perspective, I'll give you this sort of short view as to what, 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 you know, where I think it all comes from. You've got the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. And at that particular point, you get the emergence of what I would call consciousness. And, you know, all the rocks, everything like that. There's a latent consciousness within that. Um, and then that, you know, sort of all the way through time, it's reactive consciousness, and then gradually things cool down, and, you know, you get the earth forms and water. And then suddenly you get the emergence of 
you know, single cell organisms and life. And the, the consciousness changes a bit. And then it, it develops and emerges. You get sort of more complicated organisms right up to human beings. And, and the real shift in humanity, I think, is, uh, you know, when uh, human beings have the ability to self-reflect. That's the key moment. And that's the moment where, you know, a lot of uh, people today would say, that the universe became conscious of itself. You know, suddenly, rather than it all happening, we, we were there and we were able to go, hey, you know, I'm conscious, I'm still, you know, I've still got those atoms that came out of the Big Bang within me, but now I can look out and I can I can become conscious. And not only can I be conscious, but I can self-reflect on my origin. And we are now in that position where we can self-reflect on our origins. And, and in doing that self-reflection, there is this perspective which, you know, a lot of people come to the idea that all of reality is of one beingness. There is the whole idea that everything is, you know, in the trade it's called non-dual reality, where everything is of a one. And here I am talking to you, but actually we are connected in a way that our source, that which sees through your eyes, is the same which sees through my eyes. Mm-hmm. I would like to, to look about that, look about the nature of God in terms of consciousness. And I think our role in life is really in, as we become conscious of ourselves, our role in life is about helping in evolution. Now, I think you know, evolution is not about my son, you know, getting an extra finger for texting so he can text quicker. You know, <laughs> um, for me. Evolution is a function of consciousness. It's not about the selfish gene. It's about, you know, the fish came out of the the, the water and crawled onto the land when they perceived, when they became conscious of light. So all of evolution, in my perspective, is about the evolution of consciousness. And we're now in a situation where, you know, we are consciousness. You can see consciousness evolving with the emergence of you know, racial consciousness, gender consciousness, and more particularly global consciousness. You know, you can just see the changes that are happening and, and have happened. And I think as humanity, you know, our role is to to be a part of that evolution of consciousness. So as humanity, um, do you think that we are still evolving or do you think we're starting to de-evolve? I think definitely evolving. Really? Yeah. I mean, I tell you how I think. I tell you how I think it works. <laughs> We're just talking about the small issues of life here. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll tell you how evolution works. I mean, you know, I've got this perspective that the basic, you know, it's not money that makes the world go around. But my perspective is that the basic currency at the center of the universe is love. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, my definition of love is giving with no expectation of return. That, that's how I would define love, giving with no expectation. It's not a bargain. You're not saying you know, you'll pay me if I do this. You're giving with no expectation you're going to get anything back. And my perspective is this, is that, is that the universe was given with no expectation of return. No one said, well, you're going to have the Big Bang, and once it's happened, we're going to want this in return. No, it was just given. And right the way evolution, you know, we were given our lives 
with no expectation of return. No one came to you and said, look, you're going to get your life, but this is what you're going to have to do. So my perspective is that, that all of life, the fundamental currency of life, is that giving with no expectation of return. And therefore, as humanity, my perspective is that our role in humanity is to develop to a point where, where it's not our minds being in control and saying, right, you know, I'm going to do this so that I get better at this. You know, you've got this whole idea that, you know, your mind really wants Nicholas first. You know, I want to make the best out of the situation, make the most money, get the most food, have the most children, you know, just generally be successful in life, Nicholas first. But I think the heart you know, has a different agenda. And I think that the, the idea is, you know, the, the, the evolution is an evolution from a survival consciousness, which is what, you know, human beings have been on for the last, you know, however many years, mm-hmm. to a point where the, there is a, a much more of a consciousness of love, where, you know, the heart, where we become as human beings involved in what I would call emotional alchemy. Now, emotional alchemy for me is when, when something happens to me that's not very nice or, and I feel pain, the temptation is always to blame somebody else, to push that pain onto someone else, to get out of the pain and to do what's necessary to actually not feel pain anymore. Now, what emotional alchemy says is that that, that pain is the raw material that we as individuals are given for expressing love in the world and therefore what comes our way is an opportunity to express love and so therefore for me the evolution of humanity where we are at the moment is an evolution from a survivalist mentality to a a a loving humanity and that's that's where i think we're, we're at at the moment wow that's very optimistic <laughs> if it's optimistic it- it's my experience of life, really. Really? You know, if, listen, the fact is, that if we are all of a one, okay, if we, if there is this idea of this unified, a unity, unity of consciousness, mm-hmm. if, if everything is connected in, in, an, in, a, in, a, in a way where we're all interdependent on each other and that everything, that there is a, there is a sort of, set connection that, that that we are all you know you know the, all the spiritual trite phrase you are one you know everything you know i'm i'm in you and you're in me and all that sort of stuff right mm-hmm. if you accept that then you've got to accept that your part in that is is a, is relevant in that what happens in your life is is something unique to you in that the universe is giving you something of a unique thing that only you can live through your life the way that you're living through it. You've got a unique role to play in life. And if you accept that, then you accept that anything that comes your way is an opportunity to to give love in a a way that will, will transform uh, consciousness. I mean, that old Einstein quote, you know, that, that, that you know, that, that, that you know, ch- that a, a consciousness 
you know, a problem will not be solved by the same consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Right. You, know, so, you know, we individually have to transform our consciousness. And, you know, genuinely, that's my experience of life. My experience of life, that things that come my way, painful things that come my way, the way I deal with them is to say, right, this is coming my way. How can I respond in a loving way to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that is the, you know, obviously the point of life is to, you know, learn unconditional, compassionate love. Um, however, I think a lot of people miss that point. Well, you know, I would say this. <laughs> I think you're, listen, you're absolutely right. But look, rewind a thousand years, right? Rewind a thousand years. And the level of chaos on the earth is infinitely worse than it is now. I mean, you know, if you look around the world now, yeah, there's a load of stuff that's happening that is dreadful. You know, let's just agree on that. You know, everything from the Holocaust to dropping the atomic bomb, you know, dreadful. But having said that, the level of understanding of what is you know, English phrase, okay behavior. You know, what is acceptable behavior is completely transformed from what it was even 200 years ago. I mean, 200 years ago, you can have a slave. Mm -hmm. you, you, I can have a slave. I can have someone that I can sell to somebody else. You know, that still happens. But I think it's, we are in an immeasurably transformed situation. And I think you can absolutely see consciousness changing with the emergence of global consciousness. I mean, yes, it is fueled by technology and the fact that, you know, here we are talking to each other in a completely real time as if you're in the next door room. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, that has changed us completely the way that we, you know, you can do something in China and have it ha be aware, I can be aware of it here in a split second. Right. Um, do you think that human beings are the highest level of consciousness other than God? Or do you think there are other beings that have a higher level of consciousness than us? <clears throat> well, I, I tend to sort of come from a perspective, which is that, you know, if I've not experienced it, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm a priest. People come to me and say, what happens when you die? Now, there are whole scripts that, that you, you're supposed to say, you know, about what happens when you die. You know, there's heaven, there's all that. I, mean, I don't know. I really don't know about, you know, I don't know what happens when you die. I've not died yet. So I don't. And I, you know, I've not met someone who said to me, I died and this is what's going on. The nearest mm -hmm. I've got death, possibly the best film ever made, um, you know, where, but apart from that, I, I really don't know. And I don't know about, um, I mean, I would suspect just in terms of, you know, my understanding of you know, what things are, that there are, um, you know, things on other planets with measurably greater consciousness than we are. And I don't know, in terms of, uh, of, you know, you can go to, you know, things of other planets uh, and you can go, you know, on that material plane. And then you can go on the other way, which is to say, you know, 
angels or you know all that all that you know other you know there's a whole um sphere of uh, of, of mm-hmm. standing within even in the christian context called the imaginal realm which is this idea that there are different realms of consciousness i don't know about that i mean i subscribe to the idea that uh, I subscribe to the idea of a library of consciousness, that the consciousness is a library and contains the library of everything that has ever happened to anyone at any particular time. And that when we die, everything we've ever done is contained and accessible in that library of consciousness. And so I'm much more of the view, if we, if we take the sort of Jesus level type conversation, I'm much more of a view that everything that Jesus ever did is contained within the library of consciousness and is accessible within the library of consciousness. And it's accessible through experiences, books, people telling you, whatever it is. I'm much more of that perspective than I am of this perspective of an alive Jesus being hanging around somewhere in the ethers that's going to come and, oi, you know, talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I've not had an experience of that. But I have an experience of accessing wisdom within that library of consciousness. So I think that's where I come from in that level. So it's kind of like a um, a collective consciousness or an Akashic Records type of... Yes. Now, what for- I was trying to look that up the other day. I know this is man writing down while doing a podcast. <laughs> what was the name of that thing? The what, what records you said? Akashic. How do you spell that? Uh, I think it's A-K-A... S-H-I-C. That's great, because I was actually doing a talk the other day and I couldn't remember what the name of that was. <laughs> yes, I do. That's what I subscribe to. I do subscribe to that. Yes. That actually what we're all doing is we are all, you know, and what your role is, you're actually laying down stuff within that. You mm. know, and information is contained. It's not just, it's contained and accessible within our own consciousness. I'm able to you know, access that which everybody has laid down ever since the beginning of time. Yeah, I definitely sort of buy also, I also buy into that, that type of theory. I think there's definitely, um, you know, a, a, a level of consciousness where everything that's ever happened, everything that could happen <clears throat> is there and it's accessible to us if we are able yeah. to just focus yes. our intention to retrieving that information. Or just look it up, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> in books, in the library. I mean, it's it's so much is there and in other people's experience as well, which is why there's no point in trashing traditions, you know, the Buddhist tradition, the, you know, Christian tradition, because those traditions are vehicles for, you know, holding that library of consciousness, even if they sometimes hold libraries of barking idiocracy as well as, you know, sensible information, I think. Yeah. Um, you mentioned death. Um, you never experienced death yourself. So you've never had a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience. Would you be willing to have one just to have that experience so you could answer that question? No. No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, I've seen the film Flatliners. I know where that goes, you know. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, from my perspective, uh, I think peak experiences are really interesting. Uh, and, 
you know, peak experiences. You know, I've had, I, you know, I've had a peak experience. You know, I've had one of those peak experiences where, you know, suddenly I, I'm there in a the room and you know everything is light and it's coming from somewhere and I'm connected to everything else and you know it's like, you know, it was a fundamental formational experience in my development. You know, I had one of those types of experiences. But, you know, what I've come to sort of see really is that those sort of experiences are a bit like, you know, they're, they're sort of previews of wisdom. They're like sort of, hey, this is what, this is, this is you know, how it could be. And it's a very sense-based thing, just in terms of these peak experiences. Now, we can come back to the near-death ones, but they're very sense-based things. And I think that, if you have one of those experiences, part of the job is to come out of our minds and into our hearts and experience the truth that we've seen through something that's not sense-based, that's not you know, eyes, ears, but, but to experience it at, at some sort of deeper level. And after I had that experience, it was 10 years before I considered starting a meditation practice and actually trying to get out of my mind into my into my heart so i think we can go back to the near-death thing but i think a lot of these experiences some of these experiences are very sort of mind-based and they give you a, a perspective but in in order to actually you know discover a livable truth somehow we have to go into you know like a, a dolphin that sends out sonar our hearts i think send out information and receive information we get a perspective from that but you know in terms of you know doing a flat are you are you talking about doing a flatliners type stuff well, right? it, it could be I mean, there's tons of different ways of, of doing it now you know there's different forms of meditation there's isolation tanks there's um, right, yeah. things like dmt and ayahuasca um, oh yeah no uh, just sitting in front of a flashing light could probably do it it's <laughs> That's right. No, I tell you the truth. I, I, I've got, I, I, where I'm at is I sort of feel that I'm in, you know, a, my life's a bit like a wind tunnel. And I am responding to what is going on in that particular wind tunnel. And really, you know, it's, it's enough of, of an inner space adventure just to get my, myself through the day. And, you know, I, my business is I have to produce two and a half thousand words a week, which I then have to deliver. And people have to think that I'm, I'm talking sense, you know. And so, so I, so really that, 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 that's as much as I can do. And, and funny, I've got to a point where I, I don't really feel like, you know, trying to get out there on a, a on a level, you know, to, to explore using something else to do it. I mean, you know, I'm in Colorado. Dope's legal here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. In my youth, I'd have gone, great! <laughs> I was a member of the Legalized Cannabis Society in London when I was in London. But I noticed here, I'm just not, you know, interested, really. So I find that that actually, that, that, you know, responding to life is a big enough challenge for me to try and get through that. Necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, trying to work it all out. Interesting. You know, I, like I've had my own experience and I would, like after the experience, 
and, and I've, talked, I've done a lot of those interviews uh, with other people who have, and it's always the same. After those type of experiences, there's no more real fear. You, you, you kind of look at life differently. It's like, okay, well, I, I have to live out my role in this body for until it's over, but there's nothing else to really worry about, you know? And once you kind of have that realization, I think it makes it easier for it not to be so much about me and and much easier to be like, okay, my role is to help other people. Well, I mean, I can see that, actually. I mean, I, I'm not in a point where I I, I don't not experience fear, unfortunately. So maybe I should have a go at that to try and do that. But, but you know, I, I think that's a nice place to be in, uh, to be able to do that. I mean, for me, it wasn't a near-death thing, so it was more, ah, oh, right, I, I see what, what the game is here, and therefore I'm still playing the game. Mm-hmm. When the ball comes hurtling towards me and I've got to hit it out of that, you know, you know, do, you know, headed out of the park uh, every week or whatever it is. I still, I'm not in that place where I'm. I'm like, okay, fine, we'll just, uh, we'll just <laughs> and, uh, see how it goes. So, you know, I, I think if something came my way, I might be, you know, up up for doing that. Hmm. But, uh, I'm. See, I've got two kids and a wife as well, so I have to look up. Yeah, you, you know, you just disappear for a weekend and. <laughs> <laughs> I come back a new man. Your wife will either think, um, you know, you were out doing drugs or having an affair. That's right. <laughs> well, I do think that that interesting question, you know, in fact, I've, I was writing this week's two and a half thousand words earlier this morning. And uh, I've been doing a series at the moment here on, um, on the nature of God. And uh, which, which is, bound to open you up to ridicule straight away as I said about it but actually I finished the series this week and I ended up um I find it's interesting when I'm writing because I don't know where I'm going to go next you know I'll say next week I'm going to talk about this and I thought well I, I hope I will but then I get my computer <laughs> you know and it's in that situation where I, I don't know what's going to come out and you only can write what you write really and I did this thing I ended up and we, we talked about, uh, I talked about all the, you know, that, that experience of oneness and things like that. But really when it comes down to it, you know, I, I've arrived, uh, you know, arriving at that point where in terms of our relationship with that eternal nature, the most important thing is really to arrive at that openness of not knowing, you know, of mm-hmm. really getting that we don't know. Because the moment you really get you don't know, then you can welcome anything. Yeah. Then you're open to being to wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where we have to be in relationship. That we really have to not know, and use all the wisdom that we've got in order to to participate in that loving process. And in participating in that loving process, we become the actuality of that which we wanted to know about. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. In fact, the main focus of my book is all about not knowing. And, and you know, once you realize you don't know, then things kind of clear up quite a bit, actually. Yes, no, that's that's exactly it. And what was where did that lead you to? What was your 
what was the the the, the understanding that you that that, that well at, at the time that i wrote the book it was about letting go of ego a lot yes. and, and letting go of all the things I've been taught and programmed through society, um, things like money and all, all, all this nonsense that, I mean, well, yeah. stuff that I consider nonsense now, yeah. you know, letting go of that kind of stuff and looking at, trying to look at life for what it really is. And what is it really? It's just this moment. It's all I have. The only thing that's yeah, real right now is this moment. And then usually by the time <clears throat> I'm able to figure out what's going on in this moment, it's already gone. So, so in essence, really nothing is real. So if nothing is real, that means I definitely really don't know a whole lot. Yeah. I, I tell you, I mean, I think that is such a key thing. The idea of, I mean, I, we're, we're talking about, you know, what is God and all that sort of is over this, this period of time. And I noticed in one of the Beatitudes, it said, you know, it says everywhere in the Bible that you can't see God. But there's one place in the Beatitudes that says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And I thought that was really interesting. And someone said to me, well, the, the definition of pure in heart is to do, is to, to, to will one thing. That's what their definition is. But pure in heart is somebody who wills one thing. And actually, when you come down to it, that willing one thing is not about trying to achieve one outcome. Right. Willing one thing is about being completely present with what you're doing rather than doing anything else while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. I think it's that that breaks into that eternal now. And in being in that one place, in that moment, you then access something that is completely different to all the worries about, I can worry about what is going to happen tomorrow, all that sort of business. But to be in that present, it's, you know, it's an absolute cliche. But really, that is when you start to to begin to to actualize all this stuff, I think. Hmm. So, it, your ministry like is is it primarily Christian? Well, no, not really. I, I mean, you know, it has been, but you see, it, the interesting thing is that that there is when you look when you actually get down to it, the whole of the sort of Christianity is, in fact and Eastern religion just as much as Buddhism and Hinduism and all that sort of stuff, in that it is all about that experience of that unity of consciousness if you, when you analyze it. Now, you know, what societies are made of it so they can become kings and burn everybody at the stake and all that sort of business is, you've got this idea that there's this bloke was born and, you know, he, he dies, everybody else could be freed from their sins and all that sort of stuff like that and you know that's the way the stories likes to be told but you know when you get into the depth of it it's really about that experience of now so that's the sort of era i've always sort of developed along and here in the, in the place i am at the moment it's non-denominational and it comes from that cultural understanding of nowness through that the, the christian uh through through that you know jesus is you know, saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you and I'm in you and you're in me, all that sort of business. But actually, we do also include, you know, uh, uh, all the other wisdom traditions, Buddhism, Tao Te Ching, uh, you know, the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, all that sort of stuff is 
really a part of the whole game here. Cool. Um, do you think that Jesus was a person, or do you think they're just talking about Christ consciousness in the Bible? No, I, th I think Jesus was a person. I think, you know, I, for me, it was like Buddha or, you know, I think he, you know, there's definitely something went on. So he did have a, you know, he had an experience. And it seemed to me, you know, obviously for those that are around him also had an experience. And, you know, in the, in the early first 300 years, probably there was a cleanliness about that. But then Constantine got hold of it and thought, this is a good idea for me to be remain emperor. And from that moment on, it got into the hands of politicians and things there. So, I, yeah, I do think that, that I think Jesus was a person. I think the whole nature of Christ consciousness um, and, you know, it's very difficult to set up, separate out the whole Buddhist idea of the self, the small self, the big self, uh, the you know, all that the, the sort of stuff. I think they're all talking about exactly the same thing. With Jesus, do you think that Jesus um, was crucified and came back from the dead? Or do you think that um, Jesus had a twin, that Judas was tw Jesus' twin brother and took Jesus' place on the cross so Jesus could escape? I, I've not actually heard that one, in fact. Uh, so I, I, I'd have to consider that and go and have a look at it. But I don't think so, no. I think my perspective is, I think something went down. I think Jesus was crucified. And I think that the disciples or the people around him had an experience of the nature of reality that related to his presence while they were alive and that somehow, you know, that trance migrated into what we now call the resurrection, whatever mm. it is. I think like Buddha, you know, there was a, there was a big wow that happened and he passed that wow on to his disciples and, you know, they tried to pass it on to everybody else. I mean, I didn't know how people would know Judas, you know, he might've done, I, I have no idea really. <laughs> I think anybody does. I think that, I think, you know, the facts you've got to look at are that there is a fundamental wisdom there that people can, you know, in that library that people can use. And it does work in terms of allowing one to, you know, when, when he says, you know, this idea, it, it, you see the sort of things he says, like, you know, I am in the Father, you're in me and I am in you. That, that is a description of unity of consciousness. And, and that is fundamental to what he's talking about. You know, he asked where the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of heaven is within you. You know, you look at the whole of the uh, Beatitudes and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and he's basically saying, you know, don't worry, it's okay. You know, he's saying what you were saying. He's mm -hmm. saying that there is a fundamental okayness in life, that it may not always be comfortable, but actually, fundamental, fundamentally, it's okay. And I think that, you know, he that, that, that he did have a big experience, and we do benefit from that wisdom. I think that's the important thing. That's what's important. Do you think that, that, that Jesus may have been a Jewish kid who traveled over to India, learned Buddhism, learned about the Vedas, came back, and then tried to change it around? to make it more palatable for the Jewish community? Well, I, I have heard that one, actually. And and 
I mean, I don't know. You know, obviously it's possible. When um, when did Buddha die? Was it 500 BC, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, 500 BC. I mean, that is possible, I think, you know, but but you don't have to go to, to you know, you don't have to travel to India to have that sort of experience, do you? I mean, he can, he can experience in wherever he is, I'd have thought. He doesn't have to go to India for that. Well, the reason that I kind of believe in that theory is because so much of Jesus' life is missing from the Bible. Like, all we yes. get is the last four years. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's right. born, and then all of a sudden yeah. he's 30. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. So, so, you know, what was he doing? Where was he, you know? I mean, there's a great book there, Jesus, The Lost Years, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we, where we actually have <laughs> the whole thing going on, you know. I mean, every other character in the Bible, like, every moment in her life is chronicalized. That's right, that's right. <laughs> That's right. There was a bit of redactiveness going. On. I think a bit of cancel culture happened during that time. You know, obviously, they, you know, they, they redacted the materials. They just got black lines all the way through. Yes, that's right. I think there was definitely a conspiracy there. I think, I think Herod must have been the to blame. <laughs> I just wonder what yeah, he was I doing. Mean, I, <laughs> what was he was supposed to have gone to Glastonbury. Oh, that was Joseph Arimathea, wasn't it? No, he didn't go to Glastonbury. <laughs> obviously. He, he 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 did. There's a legacy there, and you know I I, I benefit from that legacy. You know I I find that uh, you know I think I think it's uh, it's there is there there was a big experience. That's all I know, and and we are we mm-hmm. benefit. Like another one of the theories out there, I believe, is that he went to Egypt and learned how to become like you know one of their magicians, and yes. then came back. And, and yes. was performing miracles that way. Yes, yes, I, I, I have heard that one as well. I have a, a sort of Joseph type thing, mm-hmm. and learn one of their. <clears throat> yes, and and Moses did a bit of that, didn't he? He throwing down his snakes, and yeah, you know, and they said oh, we can do that too. <laughs> they they, they're trading miracles, like like showing scars, you know. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, for me. You know, for me, what what is is important is this concept of, you know, the, the fundamental heart of everything is of a loving nature. I think that is the most important thing, and I think that you know I feel a part of that, and I feel that, you know, we we have a role to to actually play each of us uniquely, and if we if we do play that role, um, then I think that we we join in with that evolution of consciousness so with your your I don't know, it was a, your, your ministry your parish or whatever yeah um how do you try to lead your congregate congregation in that direction of recognizing things as sort of oneness well um i mean obviously the, the best way of doing that is for them to see how you behave in your life and to think, wow, you know, obviously that's, you know, that, that this bloke is obviously, uh, you know, has that experience of it. But, you know, I find I don't go around sort of trailing, you know, that sort of level of buddhiness around the place. Yeah, I'm kind of like an ordinary guy, so that doesn't necessarily happen. So I find, you know, a number of ways of doing it. I think courses are a good idea. You know, I, I, in my first book, Developing Conscious, I wrote a course that really took people 
you know, arrived. Well, when I first, you know, got into the whole enlightenment business, I was amazed that, you know, whenever you went up to someone and said, um, you know, what's it all about? They say, well, I'm afraid I can't tell you. You're going to have to do my, my meditation courses for two years. And when you've done my meditation courses, then you might be in a space where you can hear what I've got to say. And then you go somewhere else and they say, oh, well, you know, join our thing. And, and you know, if you do this and it is eventually you'll get it. Nobody really, I, I felt, had laid out the territory of what en the enlightenment bit was, you know, which is, you know, the nature of the mind, the nature of all, all this sort of business. So I basically, you know, wanted to set up, uh, you know, just something that introduced people to the nature of consciousness, the nature of the mind, the nature of spirituality. And courses are quite good at doing that, I think. And also, you know, if you're able just to channel through information and then deliver it in a room, you know, I'm lucky I can do half an hour on a Sunday. Uh, that's what I'm expecting. So you can, you can cover quite a lot of ground in half an hour. Uh, half an hour is about two and a half thousand words. Um, and so it's through that that, you know, I would do it as well. And also, I think in, in one's personal in interactions with people, you know, when shit comes your way, if you don't bat the shit off somewhere else or try and blame someone, but you actually take the shit and you, you actually are able to give back something loving in return, then they go, well, mm, maybe. So I, I think it's how you behave. It's being able to source information and deliver that information and also be able to take people in a, in a confined space through experiences, you know, in a course or something like that. And also writing books, you know, that's why I write the books. Right. You know, like I grew up Catholic and like I was very like, oh, you know, it's very ritualistic. It's structured yeah. and in some ways meditative. It's actually, for me personally, it's not that much far off from Buddhism, actually, yeah. because of all the ritual and stuff. Um but I've been to other types of services, especially when I've moved down here in the South, where it's almost like hypnotism they're using. You know, there's lights, there's dancing, the way they phrase the words, they're using NLP, and they're kind of cut and pasting scripture to fit a an agenda. Um, have you come across any of that? And what is your opinion? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think I think that's right. I, I, I think, you know, there's an aspect of um, uh, Christianity, you know, the whole charismatic side of things, people putting their hands in the air, music, stuff like that. You know, you could say that is a pre-mystical state, you know, the idea that people are experiencing something heartfelt and, you know, through the music, through that sense of oneness. And you could see what people, you know, do get out of that, do, you know, how, how people do can actually, you know, come through that. I, I, I see the rituals in Catholicism, you know, you even got the Hail Marys and all that sort of business, a lot of meditative stuff in there. But then I think you've got a situation where you have got a mindset. And there is a specific mindset which basically says that, you know, that the Bible is the, you know, unalterable word of God. Um, uh, and that, you know, Jesus is the son of God and blah, 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 blah. And I know once you get into that mindset, you've then got two things going on. You've got, I really need to convince everybody that this is true. And you've got, 
doesn't matter what I use to convince everybody is this is true because it's in their interests because, you know, I think it's true and therefore probably is true. And therefore, even if I am slightly misdirecting them, you know, magic, whatever it is, I'm doing it for their own ends and their own interests. And I think that, you know, the key point, the key discernment point is, do they allow the people who they're involved with to be in the driving seat of their own spiritual lives? And for me, that is the, the key question. You know, I always say to people, look, you know, I offer this material with the willingness to be wrong. Yeah. And also, you are in the driving seat of your spiritual life. Mm -hmm. No one is in the driving seat of your spiritual life. You've got to make these decisions as to what, where you think you need to be going in terms of developing. That, there's a wonderful definition of spirituality that Rome Williams, the last Archbishop of Canterbury, had. He said, spirituality is the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love which I, th I think is great. And I find that in, with a lot of these churches, they are completely prescriptive as to what's right and what's wrong mm -hmm. and what's, what's bad. And also, who are you going to vote for? You know, it is all <laughs> a completely lot of prescriptive. And I, I just, you know, I just can't go along with that. Yeah, I can't either. No. Uh, it's, it, uh, to me, it just defeats the purpose. I think... No, absolutely. The real meaning comes from within. Yeah. You know. Um, so tell me a little bit about your books. Well, I, the first book, uh, I've got three books. The, the last one I haven't quite, um, is, we're still in negotiations, they say. The, the first book, Developing Consciousness, was really a roadmap of the journey to enlightenment. And as I said, I, I just really tried to put down what the basic tenets are of the whole spiritual thing. So you've got, first of all, the nature of consciousness. Um, you know, what is consciousness? How does it work? So really get familiar with, with that whole concept that there are, is such a thing as consciousness. And, and, you know, it does develop individually and, you know, collectively and, and all that sort of stuff. And so once you've gone into that nature of consciousness, the next step is to look at the nature of the mind and say, you know, so many of us associate with our minds completely. We just feel that we are our minds. And to right. really, just to say to people, you are not your mind. Right. I did that for years until I started meditating. Yes, exactly that. So the second bit is about you are not your mind. And then in the third bit, I tell them, you know, I do, well, this is what I think enlightenment is. And I just sort of describe the nature of unity of consciousness and go into spirituality. And then having done that, I then track and say that this is how the, all the different religions look at this, and then I say, then I'll uh, look at you know how how you can transform your life using that, and so it's really a how-to. So that was the first book, and the second book I wrote uh, uh, we called "Living the Life Force," and really what I wanted to do in that second book was to to look at the nature of the what I've been talking about here, the nature of evolution. The idea of love being a fundamental currency, the idea that we are a part of the evolution of consciousness, that we have a role to play in that. And I wanted, you know, the title Living the Life Force is really said there is a life force, there is a fundamental, 
you know, opening up that is coming, that is happening. And you either decide and give up to being a part of that, or you try and take your own way. Uh, the original title I had for that book was uh, um, Life Force or Forced Life. Because <laughs> the idea is that you either just give up to the life force or you try and force your way through, you know, through, you know, your own strength and all that sort of business. And it was really the difference between giving up to that life force or secondly, the the idea of, you know, you know, forcing, you know, life force. I like force it. Making it happen. I, I changed it to living the life force. I thought it was, a, it was an easier title. <laughs> but there is a life force or force life. Went, well, hang on, let me just work this out. So it wasn't for you. And that's the second one. The third book I've just written is called The Mystical Secrets of the Lord's Prayer. And the idea of The Mystical Secrets of the Lord's Prayer is that, and so I could get to uh, 85,000 words, it's The Mystical Secrets of the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. Because uh, the 40,000 words that I did in the Lord's Prayer wasn't quite enough. <laughs> so, so the idea about this is, is that you know, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. You know, everyone says it, you know, they just just rattle it all off in, in different churches. But what if the Lord's Prayer, a bit like, you know, have you seen the film Stargate? Yeah. In Stargate, Kurt Russell, who lives down the road, and uh, and, and, and and whatever his name is, um, the bloke is in the, the blacklist, whatever his name is, James Spader. Yeah. Kurt Russell and James Spader have to find these hieroglyphs, right? And they put these hieroglyphs in this right shape in this machine. And then once the, all the hieroglyphs are there, and they go, and suddenly they they change it round. And this is the military industrial complex that does it in Stargate. Suddenly, this portal appears, a Stargate, you know, to get through. Mm-hmm. What if the Lord's Prayer was a combination lock and that by taking each of the separate lines of the Lord's Prayer, it actually was showing how to attitudinally open a portal to that basic fundamental unity of consciousness. And that by going through each of those combinations, it it opens that unity of consciousness within you. Explain that a little bit. Elaborate on that. I'm kind of curious I, 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 because, because to I, I, me, like like the Lord's Prayer, you know, like like as the, most of the time, like you know, I'm just I'll, I'll say it just because I, you know I have to, but yeah. I never really think about what I'm saying. No. And then okay, I'll give you the potted version. Okay, I'll give you the potted version. So uh, the version I'm going to use is not a standard version, but it is pretty. You'll recognize it. It doesn't start, doesn't start with our Father. It starts with Father of Us. So. So what I'm going to give you is a sort of slightly different version, but it is absolutely easy to recognize. Okay, starts off, Father of Us. Now that phrase admits to the existence of other. It admits to there being something greater than ourselves. So the moment you say that, you are basically saying it's not just me on my own it is not just a material universe it is not just out there you're opening up to mm-hmm. do, 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 you know you're opening up to the outer limits you're really saying you know, there is something else out there apart from me so that is a big 
the moment you you say that you're opening up to the you're admitting to the supernatural at that moment father of us the one who is in the heavens now what you're saying there father of us the one who is in the heavens or our father who art in heaven what you're saying there is you're saying that you're describing the unity of nature you're saying father of us given that you know Jesus, you know, if you look at what he said, you know, where is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven doesn't come from your careful observation. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And Father of us, the one who is in the heaven is basically saying that everything you look out on, everything you can see contains that divine nature. So you're, 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 you're immediately saying that unity, not only is there a supernatural, but that supernatural exists within unity of consciousness. So Father of us, the one who is in the heavens, Hallowed be your nature. Now, that is the Alice Cooper, I am not worthy. You know, we're not worthy. <laughs> you know, it's really the moment you realize that it's just little old me and I am within the divine nature, all you can do is, in the traditional word, is worship. And the word for worship comes from the two words, worship, which means to give worth to. And you're just doing a gabba gabba hey, you're just saying, you know, okay. <laughs> You know, I'm not worthy. Father, I said, hallowed be, you've got to go into that position of being, you know, I, I'm just not worthy, but I am here. Hallowed be your nature. And then you say, may your kingdom come. And you're saying, look, may I just give up to whatever happens in this in this reality. May, may you who have the wisdom of all and who has created all of this and everything, may, may, may I give up to your whatever you're going to have come about because you are going to bring it all to a fruition that is, you know, fab for everything. You know, may your kingdom come and then may your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. May, you know, may your will be done as it's done out here. May I conform to that. May, 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 may I, I am earth, you know, as opposed to heaven. So may your kingdom come as in heaven, so on earth. May my mind conform to this unfolding of evolution mm -hmm. and give us this day our bread from above that, that gives our whole life meaning, you know, give us this day our daily bread. What that means is give me the wisdom to, to show me how. Give me the wisdom to enable me to be in the right space so that I can actually do that. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, um, as in heaven, give us this day our bread from above. Cancel our debts, you know, whatever I've done that's messed things up for other people, you know, can I just let go of that? As I let go of anything that's, that's happened to me that other people have done, may I be free to do all of this, you know, uh, um, and let us not be led into temptation and let me not be led into fiddling around with how things work, you know, trying to make the outcome a certain way. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, try to you know, make a million dollars, win the lottery, you know, have my children get into Harvard, you know, may I not be, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, you know, may I not be the effect of somebody else doing that as well. May I not be at the effect of, uh, of unconsciousness. Yeah. And then, then the, 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 the lines, which aren't in the Bible, but are used for the kingdom of power and the glory are yours, which is really saying for everything out there, Every little, you know, every little scrap of whatever it is, the kingdom, the power, the sort of ongoingness and the glory, all the amazingness are yours. 
and then now and forever really introduces that concept of eternity. That's something, mm -hmm. you know, eternal nature, now and forever, really doesn't mean the end of time, it means stopping time and being in that eternal now and where that eternal life exists, now and forever. And then amen, traditionally translated means so be it. Um, and so that's really the opening of the portal. Wow. I've never considered any of that before, you know. Like I've known a, like a little bit about, and even that, I don't know a whole lot about where that, that prayer came from. Like my my little bit of understanding of it was that it was originally like a Jewish Kabbalistic type of prayer. Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is asked by his disciples saying, uh, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, don't go babbling, you know, in the marketplace like heathens, but go into your room and shut the door. And all the meditators, you say, like, Jesus, teach us how to meditate. That's, that's <laughs> a, you know, there's, a, there's a big meditation thing. Where it's, no, it's all about meditation. Jesus was a meditator. Go into your heart. Shut the door means shut the door to your mind. You know, that's what he's really saying. And, and, and this is what you say. And then he comes up, the Lord's Prayer comes out of that. Wow. Interesting. That's, that's right in the middle of Matthew. Hmm. I should try uh, reading the Bible sometime. <laughs> so, that, so at the moment, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get that published. So, so <laughs> I'm in a state. Someone did say they would publish it, but, uh, but I wanted, I felt that I just wanted to get it, you know, it published. You know, it's, it's really a cool take. I, I've never thought of the prayer that way. Yeah, you know, I think it's worth um, yeah. For me, it was always, like I said, it was just some some mindless chant that I've always had to say. <laughs> yes, exactly that. And what you really had in your hands was Dumbledore's wand, really. <laughs> what you really had in your hands was the, you know, that's alchemy. That that's that's alchemy. That's really what that's really what alchemy actually is. Al alchemy, you know, the whole alchemy thing, you know, it's all a a. a, a a mythical description of turning base metal, which is the negative emotions, into gold, which is love. Mm -hmm. Thing the whole of the alchemistic, you know, shtick is all about that. Do you know where to find the philosopher's stone? Uh, if, if it's the book, it's in my library, but no, I don't know. <laughs> Under a pile of dung. Yes, very good. Yeah. <laughs> and that pile of dung is the doingness of our daily life. Yep. That's the point. Yep. The pile of dung is the doingness, is the shit that happens in our life. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, you know, the whole, you know, alchemistic trek, you know, you, you wouldn't believe the, how many people in the Middle Ages actually were trying to turn base metal into gold. When in oh, fact, yeah. It was an analogy for consciousness, you know, which is where we're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, alchemy was definitely, um, again, a, a Western way of practicing Eastern philosophy. Yes, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think that's completely right. Same thing with Hermeticism, too. I'm less familiar with that. It's you know, Hermeticism, Gnosticism. Yeah. Alchemy. Yeah. It's all sort of the same <clears throat> Yes, absolutely. I mean, you have to go from the fact that they're 
you know, there is, you know, a universal truth, you know, that when you bore down into each of us, you know, you end up in the same place in consciousness, you know, that we are all coming from the same place fundamentally. And um, all these stories are all about the same place. Hmm. Um, do you have a favorite quote from the Bible? Well, the one I, I, I had a, a, an icon made um, and the one that... Um, that I had put on that. When you have an icon made, and they, say, they always have a little picture of the Bible in some of the icons, Jesus holding a picture of the Bible. And I, someone said, what would you like to put? And the one that I always, that I liked, that I put in that was, come to me all who are uh, heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I like that idea of eternal rest in that sense of, um, of being at fundamental peace. But I think, you know, my favorite verse of the Bible is the one that's, you know, you know, when, you know, do not look for the kingdom of heaven here and there for the kingdom of heaven is within you. I think that is the, that's, that's my favorite. That mm -hmm. I, that's what I think Jesus was absolutely saying is that this is a description of unity of consciousness as being the fundamental nature of, of reality. And, you know, I come back to that again and again. Do you have a, opinion on what John the Baptist's role was in Jesus's life? Because there's a whole bunch of weird <clears throat> mystery around John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything that is not pretty standard, really, um, in terms of um, and, I, and listen, I'll be much more interested in hearing what you do, because you've obviously got some. some <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm boning up on my Bible conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Yeah. You're really you now built to writing all these things down. So I can go right. No, I mean for me, you know, it, just in terms of, um, in terms of just you know a witness to his it, to, to Jesus's uh, enlightened beingness. That's all I've ever seen him. Come on, I, I'm definitely want to hear what the conspiracy theories are. Well, well, one of it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory, but but. But I know that the Knights of the Templar yeah. revered John the Baptist almost more than they did Jesus. Um, apparently, you know, because he was beheaded. He, like he, John the Baptist story is actually kind of similar to Jesus in in a lot of ways, and um, you know, and, and that understanding is he sort of spurred, you know, the Templar movement, like sort of a movement, you know, in that direction of. Worshipping more of the feminine, for you know, in but Jenny, the United Templar, you know, yeah. like Baptist is the, the good old British thing of uh, of blowing up failure as being really well. <laughs> but <laughs> young Baptist got beheaded. We're all going to get beheaded, so therefore yeah, let's go with on the bad. I mean, like, the British are very good at that glorifying failure. Well, they, they say like like that's where the pirate flag came from. It was John really? the Baptist's head. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, is he was he? sort of like the patron saint of pirates. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So no, I hadn't heard that. No, I, I hadn't heard that. But isn't I mean, there's not a lot of evidence for that. There is there really in the Bible or anywhere else. Is there, what did what did they? How did they? They haven't. I, I, I haven't done a whole lot of research on. It. I just know a little bit from here and there. I've seen Indiana, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. I thought that was good actually. That had a good good 
take on the Holy Grail. <laughs> but you see, there's another one, the Holy Grail. It's on Oak Island. The, the concept of the Holy Grail um, uh, is similar to the concept of alchemy. The Holy Grail is not the, the cup. The Holy Grail is the eternal life at the center of all consciousness. Mm -hmm. What the, you know, that is what, and when Arthur goes on his search for the Holy Grail, you know, he ends up with his famous insight, I am the kingdom of one. And, mm -hmm. and the Holy Grail is that I am the kingdom of one, uh, which, you know, in, in a king means, you know, I'm the king, therefore I am the king. But, you know, if we can all own that, just as if we can all own Jesus' teaching, I mean, this idea that Jesus is the only God and all that sort of stuff, you know, for me, you know, it's Jesus is there to demonstrate the potential of humanity. Mm. And it's good for Jesus, it's good for us. Interesting. You know? Say I'm the son of God. He's saying to everybody, "You are the son of God." That's so, why has there been like like other prophets since Jesus, like Muhammad and um, John Smith, the Mormon? Yeah. Um, at, like, why has have there been these other people appearing on the planet with sort of different versions of the story? But don't you think that 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 all the way through history, people are having their own peak experiences, you know, their own mm -hmm. enlightenment. I mean, Muhammad had his experience in a cave. You know, he sat there in a cave. You know, I was, I was being interviewed on the radio and the, uh, after some event, and the radio person said to me, have you ever read the Quran? I was so embarrassed I hadn't. I decided I would, I would read the Quran. <laughs> so I read the Quran, and you know, the Quran is like, 50% Old Testament. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's 20%, this is how you deal with your enemies. It's 10%, this is how you deal with your friends. And it's 10%, this is what enlightenment's about. So it's pretty standard in terms of uh, a text. But, you know, he went into the cave, he had his big experience. And, you know, each of our minds interprets the experience in a different way. And, you know, just that there are five people who, <clears throat> let's say you take Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, whatever, you know, they went and told their experiences in, a, in an effective way. People wrote them down. They formed religions around them. You know, they pass it on in that way. And there are probably another, you know, 500 people who had exactly the same experiences and exactly the same things, but never got it together to get an agent and, you know, <laughs> what it is. And, you know, they ended up with this wonderful talent, but, you know, it wasn't monetized or, or, or wisdomized or whatever you like to call it. I think we all have a, uh, there's a lovely, another, another, I like this, uh, um, th this, the idea of the equality of particularity. You come across that? Hmm? Have you come across the equality of particularity? No, I haven't. The equality of particularity says, says that nothing has any more value than anything else. Okay. In other words, you know, one element is not better than any other element. So it's like equanimity. Yes. One species, a bird, you couldn't say a bird is better than a dog. Right. They are birds and dogs, and therefore everything has an equality. Every particularity is equal.
And the great thing about the equality of particularity is it says that Jesus is no better than or worse than you are. You know, you have an equality of particularity with all the spiritual gods and gurus. And the only reason that these people are spiritual gods and gurus is that over the years, people have decided to make them such and written stories about them and told everybody about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you would probably sit you know, in a room and each of you has your own value. Each of you has a unique value in the evolution of consciousness. I mean, who's to say, let's say, for example, you know, who's to say that, you know, the person that didn't say to Mary and Joseph, why don't you come out for a drink tonight? Or Mary, and therefore didn't stop, you know, Jesus being born and didn't, you know, everybody has a, a value in what they're doing. Whether you're the door frame that the guru goes through, you're the mat that he stands on or the guru itself. Everything has an equal value. And I think that's an interesting concept. That is a great concept, actually. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I never really thought of it. You know, it's kind of like uh, there's a ton of actors out there, but only a few of them are really super famous. That's right. Exactly. You know, right. Same thing probably with these spiritual figures. And we know that, you know, presidents of the United States go into the bathroom and they bite their not knowing what to do. They're, there's, it's, they're just like you or me. But maybe they've got a skill as to how to speak in a room or whatever it is. Who knows what the, what the particular skill is? But you know when it comes down to it, you know, they're exactly the same that we are. Yeah. You know, we're exactly the same. Wow. And we're just in different situations. And And can you – the only question is – can you respond to life in a loving way? That is the only question of value, I think. Would you consider yourself enlightened? I don't know. Um, let me just, uh, let me just, um, I think that I, I, I go for the rocks are hard and water's wet, um, sort of theory of enlightenment, which is that there is nowhere else to be. There is no more advanced state to be in than I am in at this moment. So on the basis of that, I am enlightened because I am conscious, because I'm aware that I am conscious and there is nowhere else to be. There literally isn't any, no experience is like the equality of no experience is any more valuable than any other experience. They're just a series of experiences that we've each of us had. It's lovely. I love these Zen stories. There was a Zen story, and I've seen this written down a number of times, actually, but the, the abbot died in the monastery, the enlightened abbot died in the monastery. And they, they decided in order to choose his successor, they put up this huge blackboard, and they would ask people to write in the most erudite form and the pe- person that most wrote the most erudite thing on the blackboard would be made the abbot. Mm-hmm. Deputy abbot came on and wrote on the blackboard, it is not until the speck of dust, the, the mirror is polished, the mind is like a mirror <laughs> and with the speck of dust on it and he's polished and polished and polished and, and, and the one who is the most polished is, you know, the most enlightened. Right. And wrote the whole thing. And they came back a couple of days later and somebody crossed out wonderful erudite writing just had written what mirror 
what speck of dust? And of course, all the sort of senior monks, you know, went charging around trying to find out who had, you know, uh, uh, defaced the blackboard. And they found it was the under chef, <laughs> the under chef, and they made him the next abbot. <laughs> and that, you know, it is, yes, I am enlightened because to be conscious, mm -hmm. where that one is conscious, is all that it takes to be enlightened. There's nowhere else to be. <laughs> That's like um, when I first started studying Buddhism, I had asked my my teacher, I said, well, what is enlightenment? And she goes, shit on a stick. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And then a couple of years later, I heard about, you know, the koan where, it's, yeah. you know, the student asked the teacher, what is enlightenment? And the teacher goes, shit on a stick. And the reason he answered that is because, like, behind him was, like, a stick with shit on it. And that just happened to be yes. what he was looking at at that moment. That's the rocks are hard and water's wet enlightenment. And I, I think you've got to go with that because it is everything else is the mind trying to say there's somewhere else to get to. Mm -hmm. And that's bollocks. Yeah, it it is, you know, and the, that's the theological term for it. Anyway. <laughs> I thought it was the Sex Pistols term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think you know that the realization that there is nowhere else to go, you know, that this is it, is just releases everything. I think. Cool. <laughs> this was a great interview. Thanks for coming on today. Well, I so appreciate the opportunity. Now, I've got notes in front of me now from what you've been saying as well. So I'm gradually writing all this. Oh, I, I don't know if you want to use me as a source of information. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I've been trying to remember the name of this library for ages and you've come up with it. So the moment we finish, I shall make sure I look it up and write it down. <laughs> um, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Well, um, at the moment, you can find me on um, aspenchapel.org. If you go to A-S-P-E-N, aspenchapel, or on word, .org, and then you go to the uh, video library, you'll see, you know, six years worth of, of, of sermons, or easier just to watch the sermons rather than the services. We have a, a uh, Aspen Chapel has a, um, Aspen Chapel has a, a, a um, what's it called? Not an account. What's it called? You have a station, or what was it called on on YouTube when you a channel? A channel. That's right. We have a channel. So the best place to go is the YouTube channel, Aspen Chapel, and then you can just see the messages. My, the last five messages on there are this. The, the last five messages are this idea of you know what is the nature of God. So um, um, I'm doing the next one on Sunday. So by the time this probably goes out, all of them will be up there. So the Aspen Chapel, probably the easiest, the Aspen Chapel YouTube channel. Okay. I will post a link to that in the notes to this episode so my listeners can go there and check you out when they're done listening. I really appreciate that. That would be most kind. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to be on today. This was a great interview. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And and thank you for your wisdom, I say, which is all over my desk at the moment. <laughs> all right. Hang on one second. I'm just going to play the outro. Okay.
Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.